morning. Uh, and I invite all the little ones up. It's time for children's time. And for all of you, we will be having a meeting next Sunday. No, next Saturday at 6. So if you want to get involved in our Sunday school program, please come to that meeting at 6. It's going to be, I've been involved for several years, and it's just such a joy to get to know these little folks and to know what's on their hearts and to watch them grow. It's really a blessing. So can I pray for you guys? Okay. Bow your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for these little ones and their parents, and thank you for bringing them into our family so that we can love them and help them to grow in your ways, Lord. We raise them up to you. We pray that you continue to light their way and that you provide provisions for their parents so that they can be strong and get that renewed sense of spirit. When parenting gets tough and it's hard, so Lord, we raise them all up to you and we just thank you for them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. We'll go over there to Pastor Chris. week we have a combined service so we will be meeting here at 10 30 next week not our typical 10 and we will be with our with uh dale uh dale rio de vale <laughs> sorry my spanish still isn't that great yeah um i was gonna cue you felipe <laughs> rio del valle no you need to make me say it i need to i need to learn to say it <laughs> But we'll, we'll be here next Sunday all together. And then afterwards, we're going to have some fun, some family fun. So we'll have uh, games for young and old, and it will be a lot of fun. And if you want to share a part of your culture that you know makes you unique and you want to share that with us, we're going to set up tables. So if you have a flag or food or a song or anything that you want to share with us, um, please bring that and be ready to share it because we'll be doing that and finding time to be a community here together. And next, I'm going to bring up Pastor Greg. I'm going to say a prayer for you first, Pastor. And hi, how are you, okay? Um, it's really a blessing to have Greg here with us. Um, I've been moved by his ministry many times, so I'm very excited he's here. If you'll bow your head with us, we'll pray for him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Pastor Greg and his family and the work he's done to help us find your kingdom and discover it. We're so thankful for that. And today he's going to share with us a message that sometimes as Christians, it's hard for us to get our mind around. As Americans, we're not always comfortable with the darker side of our emotions and our feelings. We live in a culture where we're just gratified so instantly all the time that sometimes it's hard to suck it up and keep doing what's right, keep moving forward despite our emotions. So, Lord, I just ask you to be with him as he shares these words with us. Help us to have ears to hear and eyes to see. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, Shana. And um, it is great to be with you again. So I love, I love being with you. I love Jonathan. Good friend. And 
So it's great to see you. And Felipe, I just love your voice, too. I, I can listen to you sing all day, I think. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, one of the things, you know, we, we always say, you know, like when you greet somebody, you say, how's it going? I mean, you, you, you know, you're at church. How's it going? Somebody asks me, how's it going? And, and typically the response is, you know, looks like, you know, everything's great. It's, uh, yeah, fantastic. You know, or things are going well. Or, you know, we give the kind of a positive weather report all the time. When in reality, it might look more like this. This is really how we feel about life. But we say, hey, things are great. But in reality, it's more like, oh, my gosh, if you only knew what I'm going through right now. Uh, and, and we don't always reveal or say how we are feeling. If I was to ask you to kind of think back about this past year, just think about this past year, from now to a year ago, here's some of the things. I don't know if you can see all these things, but uh, yeah, it's kind of small. This is, Shana prayed for eyes to see, so I'm praying that you might be able to see that, but um, so up on the top, it says uh, that's, that's the death toll in the United States. 628,000 people died of COVID this past year. 65,000, it says, died of COVID in California. You know, we went through, uh, you know, kind of isolation, lockdown, couldn't be with our family and friends, experienced death and loss. You know, I'm sure maybe some of you maybe know someone who maybe you passed or who had COVID or something. It's we had um, the protests, the political fighting. I mean, just the just the politics that's been going and the finger pointing. It's your fault. No, it's your fault. It's back and forth. And I, I don't know if there's been more political animosity towards one side or the other, whatever side. I mean, it just, it's been a terrible year for that. And then, you know, just recently what's happened in Afghanistan, as I heard, prayed, and I could have put up Haiti here too. I mean, just some of the things that are going on, it's just awful. And how, how do we respond to this as Christians? Um, I don't know if you, did you ever see the movie Life of Brian? It's kind of a sacrilegious movie. It's Monty Python movie. It's a, it's a long it's, it's a long time ago movie. And Life of Brian, it kind of it's a it's it's very sarcastic. It's it mimics the life of Christ, the life of Brian. And Brian, you know, people they think that Brian is the the Messiah, the Messiah. And they're kind of it has a group that follows him. But there's one time they're they're at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching at a far distance, and there's Brian and his kind of his friends are off way on the mountainside, and they can't quite hear what Jesus is saying. And and um, one of the guys says, uh, "Hey, what what did he just say?" And the guy says, "Blessed are the cheesemakers." And he goes, "Cheesemakers? What about the cheesemakers? Why are they so special? What about the farmers? Why aren't the farmers special?" And, and, you know, it, and it's just this parody of, you know, and I don't do the English accent very well, but just, you know, they're talking about, you know, they're kind of missing the point and, and not really understanding what Jesus says. And then in the end, uh, I'm spoiling the movie here, but at the end there's 
Brian and two of his friends are being crucified themselves uh, on the crosses. Just the same kind of parody of Jesus. But then all of a sudden they start breaking out in song and they say, um, um, look on the bright side of life. Look on the bright side. And they, they just they start seeing this from the cross, and it's just so absurd. I mean, they're being crucified, they're about to die, and they're singing, always take a look on the bright side of life. That's just craziness. And that's kind of sometimes how we as Christians look at stuff like this. Well, let's just ignore it. Let's I'm not going to open up my eyes. I don't want to see what's going on there. I'm just going to keep my eyes closed and I'm not I'm going to pretend that it doesn't even exist. I'm always going to take a look on the bright side of life, and we think uh, that's what we're supposed to do. There's another song um, that I think of that I think of always take a look on the bright side of life, and then I think of the play Les Miserables. Les Mis, have you seen that? Do you remember Fontaine's song? Um, It's I Dreamed a Dream. It's one of the most haunting and beautiful songs. Um, I'm going to play it. Let's see if we can listen to this. And the world was a song. And the song was exciting. There was a time. Then it all went wrong. Thank you. 
Have you ever felt like that? We don't like to admit it. And certainly, we probably know people around us who have felt like that. I dream that God would be forgiving. I dream that everything, you know, is going well and God would be on my side. But then life itself destroyed that dream and now I'm living in a hell. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. It sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? I mean, to, I mean we, we're, it's very uncomfortable to talk about God in that way. It seems like, boy, we should not be doing that. But you know what? That is precisely what a psalm of lament looks like. That is what, I mean, if we're, I mean, that's, that's a, a picture of the psalms of lament that are, that are in our Bibles. And sometimes, you know, one of them, we're going to look at this one, Psalm 137. Psalm 137, and it's, it's one of the darkest laments there is. So I, I picked one of the worst ones for us to look through this morning. Aren't you glad? Woohoo! You know, I, but we're going to look at this. And, and, you know, one of the things, though, that sometimes is said in Christian circles is, you know what, God will never give you more than you can handle. I don't know if you ever heard that. God will never give you more than you can handle. And I want to tell you right now, that is a bunch of BS. That is a bunch of crap. Life is always more than you can handle. We cannot handle this life on our own. We are like that donkey. I mean, we cannot handle the trials and struggles by ourselves. When somebody says, I don't need a crutch, um, that's it's crazy. I mean, there's too many things in this world that we need help on. That's why we need God. If, if we can do it on our own, if, if God never gives us more than we can handle, then we don't even need God. The Christian life is more than you can do. You can, you know, I mean, you talk about the things that Christ asked you to do. You cannot do that on your own. You need the Holy Spirit in your life to be able to accomplish those things. Life is more than you can handle. And sometimes we try to handle it ourselves, and that's where we get into mistakes and problems. But, you know, Michael Card, he's an author and a singer, and he, he um, a number of years ago, um, started a project out of a series of personal losses. His sister lost two infants. His brother lost uh, his oldest son. And then he, then he was reflecting on the tragedy of 9-11, and he wrote a book called A Sacred Sorrow, and then he recorded an album called The Hidden Face of God. And in that book, he calls lament the lost language of worship. It's, uh, we don't even have it in Christian circles. We don't even have songs of lament that we can sing, though Psalms itself, the prayer book, the worship book of the Old Testament is filled with songs of lament, but we don't we don't even know how to sing them. We don't even want to go there. We don't even want to think about it. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable. How are we to understand like Psalm 137? That's what I want us to look at this morning. Let's look at it real quickly. Psalm 137. Here's where you need some eyes to see. But 
Here's what the psalmist says. Besides the river of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. This is a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of exile. The psalmist here is writing about how they were led into captivity or taken away in captivity into Babylon. Jerusalem was sacked. Israel was destroyed. And now they're being taken away and they're on their trip back. And the Babylonians, their captors, are saying, hey, sing us a song, you know. And we don't exactly know why they're saying sing a song. Maybe they're saying, hey, cheer up. You cheer up and sing a song. You know, you're so down and depressed, just sing us a song. Or maybe they're, um, they're poking them, they're prodding them, they're, they're ridiculing them. Perhaps they're saying, sing a song. Oh, you, you used to sing songs of joy and happiness. Now sing one about Jerusalem. Yeah, now I want you to sing. We just destroyed your temple. Now I want you to sing a song, a happy song now. And they're just prodding them and they're ridiculing them. And they're saying, you know what? How do we sing in this? This is what, what this says in the next verse. Oh, this is actually, I want to, this is what, we're so uncomfortable with, with this, with grief and sadness. This is something that C.S. Lewis wrote when his wife died, his wife Joy died, and he wrote this in a, in a grief observed. He said, I cannot talk to the children about her, about people who ask, you know, the moment I try, there appears on their faces neither grief nor love nor fear nor pity, but the most fatal non-conductor's embarrassment. They look, look as if I were committing an indecency. They are longing for me to stop. You know, he's still dealing with grief, but everyone else wants C.S. Lewis to, you know, kind of get over it. Is, you, why are you still sad? Get over it. And, 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 and there's such intolerance for sadness and for grief among his friends. And that is often the way it is in the church as well. There's a great intolerance. What is so ironic, though, because the one that we worship, Scripture describes as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And how is it that we are so impatient with those who are sad? Oh, get over it. Leave your troubles at the door. You know, just put on a happy face. Just take a look at the bright side of life. We have a very low threshold for pain. So what do you do when you, your dreams have died? This is what the psalmist says. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? Now, he's not asking the question because he expects God to give him an apologetic answer for why you should worship. Worship is really not about you. It's about God. And he's not expecting God then to say, oh, well, you should worship anyway, despite how you're feeling. He's not expecting that. He actually expects God to agree with him and to understand. There is no retort back on this question. How can I sing songs of the Lord when I'm in a pagan land? And then he writes, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. 
Here he's, he's saying, you know, how can I fake it, is what he's saying. How can I fake the loss of Jerusalem? How can I pretend like I haven't lost my greatest joy and now sing great songs of happiness and joy? He's caught in a bind. He says, how can I sing as if I've forgotten what has happened to Jerusalem? I can't sing as if that nothing happened. I can't pretend. I can't fake it. And then he's caught in this bind. Well, uh, what do I do? I, I, I hang up my harp. One of the times when, we, when it's hard to worship is when we find ourselves in a place we don't like. How did I get here? How did I get to this place? I thought my life would be so different than the hell I'm living. I, I thought I would have a job. I thought I would live in a different place. I, I thought uh, I, I wouldn't have gotten divorced. I thought my husband or my spouse would not have died. I didn't know my children were going to pass before me. You know, you can go on and on about the griefs, the griefs that we have. I didn't know I'd be in this place. And then there's this lament as, as far as now I'm in a place where it's like the new normal. Now, now this I'm in a place where um, the past looks better than the future. How can I sing now when my when my past, when I look back and I go, oh, those were the glory days. Those were the good old days. When you're stuck in the past, how can I worship when my present and my future look so bleak? How can I sing songs of Jerusalem when I, I don't ever expect to go back? That's when it's hard to worship. And that's, that's what the psalmist is expressing here in Psalm 137. Let me go on. O oh Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. The Edomites were descendants of Esau. And the Israelites, you know, later on, they, just, they were their constant rivals and enemies. The Edomites would attack Jerusalem. They would not let Israel you know, go, go free around their land. They were always in battle. And when Babylon was taking Israel captive, the Edomites were the cheerleaders. They were saying, yeah, take them into captivity. And the psalmist here is reminding God what the Edomites did. Remember what the Edomites did, God, and, you know, do something about it, God. Why, why, how did, you, why did you let them get away with cheerleading the destruction of your temple, your place of worship, where you reigned? They were cheerleaders. God, remember them. And then in verse 8, he, now he turns his attention. The psalmist turns his attention from direct to talking to God. God, remember. Oh, Lord, remember what the Edomites did. Now he speaks directly to the Babylonians. And this is what he says. Oh, Babylon, Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. That's probably some of the darkest words in Scripture. You say, how in the world can that be in the Bible? We're really uncomfortable. I mean, how can we say that? How is that even in Scripture? We get really uncomfortable with happy is the one who pays you back. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. 
the key is really in verse 8. It's happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. The psalmist is saying to the Babylonians, I hope someone does to you what you have just done to us. I hope someone does to you what you just did to us. The psalmist is referring to he has seen the children of Israel's babies dashed to the rocks and he's saying and crying out, I hope someone does that to you one day. We're uncomfortable with this. I mean, I, some people want to, you know, spiritualize this. And uh, Augustine did this. He, he tried to say that the babies or the little ones are the sins that rise up in our lives and we're to dash them against the rock of Jesus. The sins that we but dash them against the rock. But that doesn't make sense in the context. This is a context of what has happened literally to the people of Israel. They have seen their own children killed and they're saying I hope something happens to you the same way that's the natural response I had that same response when I was a pastor at Malibu Pacific Church I had a staff member early on in in my start there where he was trying to undermine me at every turn I mean he was just out to get me and now he's a pastor of another church and I have prayed for a long time I, I have to it's kind of still a prayer <laughs> God, give him a staff member just like he was to me. God, I hope that he has, you know, someone just like him that's going to taunt him and torment him the way he taunted and tormented me. Do you have, you know, sometimes, you know, parents will say that to your kids. I hope you have a son or a daughter just like you were. I hope you get it back just the same way. It's a natural thing to say. You know, you're, you're a boss or something, and there's something, I hope, you know, you experience what you've done to me that comes back on you. That's, that's how we feel. It's a natural response. And the psalmist is being honest with his feelings. I just hope the same thing happens to you. And it, so it's hard to worship when you're in a place you don't like. It's hard to worship when your past looks better than your future. And it's hard to worship when you're waiting for justice to be done and it hasn't been done yet, when you want things to, those that have hurt you and harmed you, when you, you want justice to be done, you want God to punish them for what they've done. And it's hard to worship under those circumstances. When you're crying out for justice, it's, it's in, the, in Revelation, remember Revelation, the martyrs are crying out, how long, oh God, must we wait till you come again? How long do we have to wait until you make things right. But there's something, though, that, that we kind of have to understand when we think about crying out for justice. Because when we cry out for justice, we have to remember it's a two-edged sword. As, as, as soon as I'm crying out for justice, God, you know, just strike them down I never want justice to be done to me. I don't want to be held accountable for the bad things that I've done, the stupid things that I've done, the wrong things that I've done. I want mercy. Oh, God, give me mercy. Everyone else, justice. Bam, just knock them, you know, just pow, pow. You know, that's what we want, but God, give me mercy. 
there is really only one person who can cry out for justice and not be afraid of the sword himself. Jesus is the only one who could have legitimately called down the angels to come on his side and to wipe out all his tormentors and all those that were killing him, abusing him. He had every right and no sense of fear about justice would come down on him because he was crucified for our sins, not for his he was perfect, spotless. And yet Jesus doesn't call for justice. He prays this prayer. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. There are times when we come to worship where we feel like, how did I get here? God, why does my future look so bleak? God, I want justice. And Jesus stands there before us and says, Grace, I understand. Because one of the things about Jesus is that he knows exactly how we feel. Surely while Psalm 137 is in the Bible, so it shows us that we can name our pain. We can name our sorrow and not be afraid. We can name even the ugly things in our life and, and, and not fear God's judgment on them. God offers us grace even in our ugly thoughts even in our, our ugly emotions, we don't have to hide the uglies from God. Because Jesus on the cross is saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I have to recognize when I'm you know, asking for justice, I, I'm, I'm not being really honest or fair because I don't want justice done to me. I want God's mercy. And I have to pray, God, Change my attitude, change my heart. May I see the world the way you see it. I got to be honest, this is how I feel, but God, change my thoughts, change my emotions, change the way I see it so that I can see the world the way you do, that I can be full of grace and truth, that I don't have to hide from the hard and difficult times. You know, it's impossible to pick somebody off off the floor unless you are willing to go there yourself. And that's amazing. That is exactly what Jesus did. He went to the depths. He went to the floor. He knows what it's like. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, he, he knows our sorrows. He's a man acquainted with sorrows, a man of grief. And he understands, and he offers us grace. He offers us understanding. And we need him more 
and more and more because life will always be more than you can handle. Don't try to do life on your own. That's why we need the church. That's why we need to worship together. There are times when, you know, you go to church and you don't feel like worshiping, and, and I don't feel like worshiping. You know, I'm a pastor. I don't feel like worshiping, but I worship through silence sometimes or through hidden tears, or I worship through the voices of my brothers and sisters. There are times when I, I cannot sing, but I hear my, my brothers and sisters sing, and I think, oh, they're singing for me, even though I can't sing right now. They're singing for me. They're, they're being Jesus to me, even in this hard time. And that's why we need the church. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Holy Spirit, because we cannot do this on our own. As Jonathan prayed earlier, we don't need to wear spiritual masks in church. I hope you find a place, a community, a group, a small group where you can be real and authentic and, and where you can be Jesus to one another. Where you can give grace and receive grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together to be in your presence. And Lord, we thank you for the psalm of lament. Sometimes it makes us uncomfortable. It might seem like, oh God, um, how is this in the Bible? But it actually affirms my faith. It shows the reality of life, that life is hard, it's not easy. But it also reveals that you are always with us and we can be honest with you and you accept our honesty. Thank you for your love and grace. Help us, Lord, to be loving and graceful with those around us that we might be more like you. We pray all this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. The Lord has spoken, the word has gone out, and it never does that without having an effect upon our hearts and our minds. Move into our time of self-offering. May this be a moment for you to continue to let the words, the psalm, to reverberate in your heart and your mind. And we're also in a moment going to be singing the song forever. We're going to be singing about God's goodness and his love being something that always is with us. You know, part of being human probably is also the tension. We can hold that grief and hope at the same time. But let's not neglect either. Let's move into this time of self-offering.